Today's reading is from Acts 6, verses 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against Hebraic Jews because of their widows being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Good morning, everyone. Pastor Sharon here. Good to be together again around God's word, together in worship. Before we open the text for today, I invite you to pray with me. Lord, you are the giver of your word, your grace. And as we come to this sermon today, I would ask that your Holy Spirit would take my words and imply them as you intend. May the words of my mouth and the meditations and thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. So what is your feeling about conflict? When things get tense around you, what is your response? We all know that conflict is inevitable. It's an easy thing to say, and of course we agree with this, but yet most of us don't really love moving towards conflict. In fact, it sometimes surprises us, and we want to move away from it. Now, we're certainly aware of conflict within our culture even in our families in this season. We witnessed intense conversations, even debates this past week, and maybe we've been part of them ourselves, engaged in some of those conflictual conversations. But what if, what if conflict is actually an assignment from God? What if in conflict, God is inviting us into a new place, a purpose that is meant to transform us both personally and as a community. I think that's what we're going to see in this text that was read this morning. And I'm going to look, we're going to look at it this morning in three different ways. Community conflict, then community response, and community witness. So let's just put this text in context for you what was happening in the early church at this time. The believers in Jerusalem had increased in numbers. Their numbers were surging. The apostles were um, expressing their faith in God through preaching and through miracles. And God was doing a work in the people. But they were also facing persecution. We read about Peter and John being arrested for speaking the name of Jesus. And the apostles as a whole group being jailed by jealous religious leaders. But even in the midst of persecution and contention, 
they continued to move forward. They increased in their boldness and their conviction that the name of Jesus must be what they expressed. And so they never stopped, never stopped teaching about Jesus and their numbers increased. And as the numbers increased, so did some new stresses increase. And that's what we look at in today's text. Inside the dynamics of a diverse community, we see tension and conflict underneath all that growth. It's the first cross-cultural contact among these early Christians, and we can learn from it. Now, before I go into the text, I just want to define some terms that I'm going to be using so we don't get lost in what they mean. It's the term dominant culture and non-dominant culture. When we refer to dominant culture, it's the main culture in a society which is shared or accepted without opposition by the majority of a population. This includes values, norms, language, and ways of behaving. The dominant culture is the group that has the power, the privilege, the status in a culture. And non-dominant culture is just the opposite, of course. It's any subculture that doesn't share in that power, privilege, and status. Their norms may be different. Their language may be different. Even some of their values. And there is often conflict between the dominant and non-dominant culture. And that is what we see in Acts chapter 6 today. Community conflict. So what was the problem? Well, as the believers increased in numbers, different cultures came into this um, community and people of different backgrounds. And we hear that they were, there was unequal treatment based on these differences. Now, the treatment of widows in the early church was not something new. It was a category that had been important for Jewish believers for centuries. In fact, in Deuteronomy, it tells very clearly that this was a category of people that God intended them to pay attention to. Deuteronomy 27, 19 says it this way, a solemn commitment, even a curse for those who didn't pay attention to it. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. A priority for the church, which continued from their Jewish faith, was to care for the widows, the poor, the vulnerable in their midst. But here, in verse 1 of chapter 6, we see a complaint coming, a grumbling from one group of people against the other. The Grecian Jews are saying, you've overlooked, you've discriminated against the treatment of our widows. Discrimination in the treatment of different ethnic groups. That was what was going on in this Seen. And you see the term Hellenistic or Hebrew Jews, uh, excuse me, Hellenistic or Greek Jews, and then the Hebraic, the Hebrew Jews. The Hebrews were the native, native people of the land. They had prided themselves on being born and living right there in Israel. They'd come to regard the Hellenists, those of Greek background, as unspiritual compromisers with their Greek culture. They were Jews. They were Jews who spoke Aramaic, but had not assimilated into the Greek culture. And then the Hellenistic or Grecian Jews were those Jews 
strong in faith of the Jewish faith, but they'd been dispersed from Israel during the diaspora, during a time of captivity. They retained their Christian faith, but they'd adapted to the cultures around them. And they tended to view the Hebrew Jews as holier-than-thou traditionalists. There was tension between these groups, even as all of them called on the name of Jesus and held to their Jewish roots. And it came to the surface in this way, in way that widows were being treated. And it appears that the dominant group, the Hebraic Jews, hadn't noticed any discrepancy in provisions. But the Grecian Jews were very aware of how their widows had been slighted. The system wasn't working for them. Hebrew widows who were often at home in their native Jerusalem had not been overlooked, but those who spoke a different language, had different different ethnic traditions, received little or nothing in the distribution of food. So there's a principle and application for us today in this as well that arises out of this text, and it's this. Systems and practices are often designed by and for the benefit of the dominant culture. This is just the way things go. Often dominant culture, in this case the the Hebrew Jews, overlook or even dismiss issues that concern the non-dominant culture. Because it doesn't impact them, they don't see a need to complain or protest. In fact, they even may deny it. Systems work just fine for some, but not for all. And if we take seriously the call to biblical justice, we must address these discrepancies, both internally and within the systems around us. You know, it's noteworthy that even in this community, it was the non-dominant group, the minority group, who brought it to the attention of others that inequality was happening. They're the ones who said to the community, this is happening and our widows are being overlooked. And the principle here too for us is that when people of the non-dominant culture speak up, it takes courage and it behooves us. We are called to listen and to respond. And that is just what happened in this conflict and community. There was a community response. Injustice was called out. And how did the leaders respond? First, they faced it immediately. They didn't ignore the problem. They openly respected and listened to the concern, and they didn't dismiss it as a minor issue. These cross-cultural tensions were very real, and complaint about treatment of the poor was most likely just a symptom of a much deeper problem. And so the leaders addressed it, because when concerns are not addressed, they don't go away. They just go underground. And so they addressed it right up front. And they did it by bringing the whole group together. In this critical decision, the 12, the apostles, knew they needed the discernment of the whole community. It wasn't viewed as less important than the work they were called to do. Even though we read in the text that that the apostles said, we must not neglect the ministry of the word, that term ministry is the same term used for service. 
So the ministry of the word, the ministry toward the poor, serving the word, serving the poor. Both of them were important to this community. And it's an indication for us even now that issues of injustice, of mercy, of um, equality are is important and is needed for the church as the ministry of the word. In fact, they go together. And so they summoned the group together and they proposed a group of men that had been examined and reviewed. As the scripture said, these men who were full of the spirit and of wisdom. And it's important to note, as we read through those lists of names, before that time, the leadership of the church in Jerusalem was base of basically Hebrew leadership, perhaps the exception of Barnabas, who was a leader then. But all of these leaders were Hebrew Jews. But that's about to change as the commissioning of these um, Greek Jews, these Greek believers becomes real. The leaders called them together. They proposed and presented this whole group because the leaders had found a solution for being willing to share power. They were humbly recognizing they needed to change some systems. And you heard the list of names read, all of them invited to share in leadership. Greek names, part of that non-dominant group who now share in the apostolic work. For at the end, the, the apostles laid hands on them and pray for them. And it's a symbol of the authority that had been given to the apostles through Jesus Christ and now is extended to this new cultural group of leaders. It, their leadership, in fact, extended way beyond the administration of care for the poor and serving at tables. We see Stephen, of course, further in Acts and speaking and preaching powerfully, giving witness to Jesus Christ. And we see Philip, an evangelist who reaches out cross-culturally to Samaria and then to an Ethiopian servant. These men were called to the work of the church. The leadership shared power so that systems could be changed. And that's an application for us today as well because systems practices processes that ignore the non-dominant culture can be altered injustices can be addressed when we work them together when we come to the table together we discern together not as us versus them excuse me as we versus them but as us together us together where what is just is just for all. It isn't always easy. It wasn't easy then, and I'm sure it continues to be a challenge for us as followers of Jesus. But as we come together, as we stay at the table to have some of these hard, tense conversations, the Spirit is with us. And the second part of the principle is that leaders need to model the way. They need to give up power. They need to humbly recognize when they've gotten it wrong and where systems have overlooked the needs of others. I have an example from that from this week. A friend came to me about a decision that had been made, a decision that because of my role and maybe because of my dominant culture position, 
seemed not that significant. But in listening to the perspective of this friend, I was able to humbly recognize that I had made a decision based on what was good for my culture, for my perspective. And we were able to have a difficult but honest conversation that I believe moved both of us forward toward the kind of community God desires. And that's what happened in the church, too. There was this early church, a new community witness. The outcome of this conflict was something wonderful. Verse 7 says it this way. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The gospel expanded. The tasks of caring for the poor, the Greek widows, which became of utmost importance to this community, became part of their witness so that the community and the gospel was extended. The concerns of the non-dominant group became the concerns of the whole. And God's gospel, the Holy Spirit, did a work to increase their numbers. The word of God spread by preaching, by demonstration, and by power. Now, that didn't mean it was the only the only conflict it was all solved for this multicultural church, this early church. Now, we're going to hear other instances in the book of Acts where there were still conflicts and things to recognize, but it was a first major step. A step so that Paul could even say when he wrote to the church in Galatia, he said it this way. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We know God celebrates the the diversities of different ethnic and cultural groups. It is his design It is the mosaic that he has intended to celebrate the fullness of who he is in the kingdom. And we are called to do the same. And in all kinds of ways to provide for and elevate the justice and honor for all groups, all cultures. You know, a commitment to pursue justice includes paying attention to the systems and the difficult conversations that come when we recognize injustice. Like that early church, we can move forward with this. And this is my prayer for us as a church, that we would pay attention to the protests, the concerns that are brought before us, that we would move together under the holy disruptive work of the Spirit to become a more just, a more loving, a more holy church. And through that, may the gospel increase. May people know that the kingdom of God is for all. I invite you to pray with me as we do that right now, as we lean into that together. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize in this story from your early church that we still step into conflict conflict related to ethnicity and culture and race. And you desire for us, Lord, to do a work that would move us forward toward the beautiful unity you intended for your church. Not uniformity, 
but beautiful expressions of the church of many cultures, many languages, many perspectives. Lord, give us a willingness to step into conflict so that you might do a work in us personally and in our community. We thank you. We thank you that your spirit leads us into this, and we pray it in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.